You're listening to Retail Disrupted, a podcast that explores the latest industry developments and the trends that will shape how we shop in the future. I'm your host, Natalie Berg. Hello and welcome back. I hope everybody's had a good week. I have been in France for most of this week, attending the Paris Retail Week conference. Lots and lots of learnings there, but we are not going to be talking about that on today's show because I am dedicating a whole episode to Paris Retail Week next week. Also next week, I'm going to be speaking at Dep Commerce Week. This is a live streamed event. It's going to be uh, aired on Wednesday, the 27th of September. So please join us. I'm going to include a registration link in the show notes, but it would be great to have you join us. I'm going to be giving a talk on the future of retail and then joining a panel discussion with TikTok and High Snobiety. I'm personally really interested to hear from TikTok because they're one of those disruptors that has made their ambitions for commerce very clear. So they're moving more and more into this space. They just launched TikTok shop in the US and globally they're targeting $20 billion in e-commerce sales. So it's certainly an interesting space. The FT is calling them Amazon for Gen Z, <laughs> which I love. I am, uh, I am definitely not Gen Z. I am a geriatric millennial. <laughs> Oh, so I'm told. Um, but I, you know, I grew up with analog and digital. So, you know, I like to think I have I have those skills. I can do both. But I am really excited for that conversation. And if you'd like to tune in again, I will be uh, sharing the registration link in the show notes. Today, we are going to be talking about H&M. We're going to be discussing the news that H&M is charging for online returns. Earlier this summer, the fashion retailer quietly began charging UK shoppers a £1.99 fee to return an item by post. In-store returns are still being processed free of charge. Now, this is a big deal. H&M is the second largest clothing retailer in the world. It has a presence in over 70 countries. And I hadn't realized this until this week, but they had actually already been charging for returns in some markets in Europe. And in the coming months, they're going to be charging for returns in even more countries. Jonathan DeMello, founder and CEO of JDM Retail, has been all over the BBC and various other media outlets commenting on this story. And I'm delighted to say that today he's joining me on the podcast. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, Natalie. Good to see you. No, thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks uh, so much for coming on to continue this conversation. Uh, maybe before we get into the news about H and M, you can kick us off with a few words about yourself and what it is that you do. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Um, I've been working in consulting for around twenty five years, I'd say now, and I work with landlords and also retailers. So it's a mix of both, actually. Um, from, a, from a property perspective, it's all about location strategies so to help them to understand which locations they want to be in how much money they can make their customer and all the rest of it so it's quite a um specific and niche practice that i have and for landlords it's all about you know should they buy this shopping center invest in it what should they do going forward so that's essentially what me and my my business does fantastic 
Now, great. So we're going to talk about H&M today and we're going to get into all the implications and, and really get into the issue of returns, uh, which, as we all know, it's a it's, you know, the perennial problem in retail, isn't it? Um, but before we get into all the implications, maybe we could just talk a little bit about this story, because it seems like H&M has done a little bit of a U-turn. So maybe you can just talk us through what they had originally announced and then where they've backtracked. Yeah. And first of all, I've got to give credit to the BBC for this because they um, kind of investigated H&M in a sense. So I originally mentioned to them that H&M were trialing, and this is months and months ago, actually, they were trialing uh, sort of charging for returns in Scandinavia. And they, for me, it was a matter of time before they rolled it out into more mature markets like the UK, where they have significant store presence as well. And the BBC were looking into it and I guess they were quite tenacious because they were the ones to discover the fact that H&M had suddenly started to charge for returns as of summer of this year. So I think it was literally only a month ago or something that they started to charge. And uh, yeah, I mean, as it stands, as of today, in fact, H&M on their website originally said that they would still charge you if you wanted to return in store, but they've done a big U-turn today and they've said, actually, we're not going to introduce that charge after all. So that's kind of a win for shoppers and a win for um, people in general that want to shop at H&M, you know, if they want to return their products, they can now do so for free in store. But as of like the time that I was on the BBC talking about it, they weren't doing that. So you still had to pay £1.99 to return it in store. So great that they're doing it. Kind of a U-turn, I guess, because of the pressure that the BBC put on them. But uh, good journalism from the BBC. I've got to give them credit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it is interesting because that's, um, you know, that is what Zara and some of its competitors do. And it's a really delicate balance, isn't it, between, you know, always giving the customer what they want and continuing to enhance the customer experience. But also, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to manage your costs. So so we'll, we'll get into all of that. But I guess um, just to back up a little bit, so let, let's, let's um, talk about the rationale for this move, okay? Because we know that free returns is a problem and it's really gotten out of control recently as more and more of us are shopping online. And there was actually some really interesting research from KPMG, which showed that up to half of the clothes that we buy online are returned and it's actually costing the industry seven million pounds a year. So just to put some numbers to illustrate kind of how giant of a problem this is and something that I tweeted with, and, and, you know, I stand by this. I think that retailers have created a monster. Um, they've created a monster with free returns. They've, they've, um, they've created a rod for their own backs. And I think that, yes, it does make sense. Uh, both in environmental and financial terms, I think it makes sense to stamp out this buy to try mentality where, you know, as a shopper, we order six items and we return four or five of them, right? Mm. That's just become totally normalized. And, and of course, from a shopping perspective, you know, if it's not going to cost you anything, then yeah, you are going to treat your, you know, your home as your personal fitting room. So I think, you know, just for a little bit of context, I think that's where we are right now. And it's clear that something needs to be done. But my question to you, Jonathan, is do you think that charging is the right way to address this problem? I personally think it is, yes, because um, the cost of doing business online has increased significantly. It's not just the cost of supply chain, you know, where the products, because of inflation, you know, across the supply chain, everything's increased in price. It's also just the cost of advertising. You know, it used to be a lot cheaper to advertise on Meta and other channels, but now it's something like three or four times as much. So 
across all the value chain, if you like, uh, for a retailer, costs have increased online. And so passing some of that cost on to the consumer and sort of, I guess, avoiding the whole thing of, as you mentioned, you know, of buying seven and returning six, uh, that will discourage people from doing so if they have to pay. Um, but it will, I think, allowing it for free in store is a good move because it mm. will enable them to then, you know, encourage people to go back to the high street and back to shopping. And uh, often, I think some research, you know, that I've seen as well in the past, I can't remember who founded it originally, showed that, you know, when people do click and collect or, or you know, in this instance, return products in store, they do go on to buy other products in store as well, or at least a certain percentage of them do, maybe 20 to 30% of people then buy other products. So it's still, you know, it's, it's a worth worthwhile sort of thing to, for them to be doing. And I think also it's necessary because the cost of doing business online has just spiraled recently. And I know that um, this is not sort of in fashion, if you like, but it's more in grocery. But I know that um, a big grocery multiple in the UK continues to lose money online uh, from online grocery delivery and they subsidize it. You know, so it costs them, say, let's say £12 to make the delivery and they charge, let's say, £8 to make the delivery. So they're losing £4 on every online delivery. And the only reason they're doing it is because they want to maintain their market share and continue to uh, to grow that market share at the expense of profitability in some instances. So I guess it's probably similar in the fashion world as well. If people are abusing the system and ordering lots of products and returning only a few of them. So I think it's definitely something that needs to be clamped down on. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, I mean, it is it is sort of the cost of doing business online, but you rightly point out that those costs have just surged in recent years and, and especially in fashion as we are getting more comfortable with buying clothes online. And uh, I do want to come on to sizing and fit and some of the kind of um, inherent challenges of selling clothes online in a bit. But I guess before we do that, you know, we talked about how um, how free returns has enabled this sort of behavior has normalized this sort of behavior. But I guess another aspect to that is it's not just the fact that it doesn't cost us anything, but it's so easy today to return stuff. It's so much more accessible. And, you know, there was once a time, not too, too long ago, where you couldn't return an item you bought online. You couldn't return it in store. You know, there used to be that disconnect. And, and you know, retailers have done so well over the past kind of 10 to 15 years and, um, you know, aiming to be truly omni-channel and unifying those physical and digital experiences. And I think, you know, there's certainly a lot to be said for that. But I think um, just to call out a few examples of how much more accessible it's become, just kind of talk through this proliferation of choice that we we've seen as shoppers i mean we have lockers today when it comes to returning goods we've got lockers that have kind of i think really changed the game uh you can return your goods to another retailer store so we've seen a lot of collaboration on the return side um some other interesting examples supermarkets i think it was asda that was trialing this service where you'd get your groceries delivered and then you would hand over your return to the driver so sort of reverse mm. logistics there which I, I don't know kind of where that went but I know they were definitely exploring that and um and just the last one that even now you know the post office will collect your parcels from home free of charge so you don't even need to leave your house you don't need to you know the, I think one of the big barriers was you know waiting in long queues at the post office and and now it's it's free and so easy so I think you know are retailers to blame in terms of you know again, always trying to improve the customer experience and keep trying to outdo one another in terms of 
you know, creating a frictionless experience for the shopper? You know, is, is there some blame to be put on the retailers here, do you think? Um, well, it's become a bit of a frenzy of, you know, ordering so many different products and returning them that it's the retailers to blame in a sense for allowing that to happen, you know, because they've subsidized it for so long that it, something had to give and it, it makes sense for them to be doing what they're doing now. But it has encouraged bad behaviors amongst certain consumers, yeah. but, you know, are just ordering lots of different types of sizes and, you know, fits and colors. And then just thinking, and some of them even just order it, you know, for a party, then return the product afterwards. So, because they are unable to do that. So it's yeah. really a big, big issue, but I'd say um, things are evolving actually. And I'd say that um, I saw today or yesterday, I think it was actually that, um, did you see that shine uh, or sheen or however you say, how do you mm. say? I think it's Sheehan. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, okay, fine. You said much better. Don't quote than... me on it. Don't quote me on it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm taking words. <laughs> but no, um, I, th- I think she and uh, they, if they acquire Misguided, which is looking likely at this point yes. from the Traders Group, I think part of the deal is that they can then proliferate their products. Um, they can allow, you know, pickups from Fraser's Group stores, uh, so people can buy Sheen, you know, from Fraser's Group, or at least pick it up from there. And I guess that might go for returns too. It's a, it's a muted thing. It's not necessarily locked down as a, you know, no one knows for sure apart from the, the two retailers themselves. But if that's the case, then it just shows how things are evolving, you know, and the blurring of the online and the physical more and more. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I, I just want to touch on something that sort of relates to what you just said, just around the fact that this isn't specific to H&M. So, you know, I remember when Zara first announced they were going to charge for returns and everyone was just like, oh, how could they do that? You know, you can't do that. And um, I think now we're seeing actually you can do that. So we've had New Look, uh, Uniqlo, Next, and yeah, even Boohoo, a fast fashion retailer. So all of those retailers are now quietly charging for returns. Do you see more fashion retailers following suit? And and also if paying for um, returns of clothes becomes the norm. Do you think maybe we'll see this trickle across to other categories as well within retail? Yeah, I do actually. I think it will be something that will spiral in terms of other retailers adopting it. And uh, I mean, ASOS are the big sort of elephant in the room. You know, will they or won't they charge returns as well? Mm. There's a perception given this sort of higher price point of their product that they could do that. Um, but, you know, because Boohoo are doing it and their price point is extremely low you know, versus ASOS. So it's possible that they may do it. But, yeah, I see other sectors and other retailers doing it for sure um, because of the cost of trading online. And, you know, it, you can't subsidize it anymore, especially when your costs are rising across other channels. But it clearly puts the boot on the other foot, if you like, for the physical retailers that have lots of physical stores because they have the logistics and the ability to cope with these sorts of returns in store and process them. Whereas, obviously... If you're an online-only pure play, then you have a situation where you're going to lose customers because part of your model was, you know, allowing free returns, you know, so that you can get volume and scale and not doing that, or sorry, starting to charge returns may discourage some people from using, I'm sure, I'm sure Boohoo's been hit by that, for example, and I'd imagine ASOS would do too. So it's going to be a two-tier system where if you have physical stores, then, you know, you can probably easily more easily do it, which is why we've seen Uniqlo next and... Zara and now H&M do it. But I think the pure plays, it must be a massive debate internally. Mm. You know, and they need to model it and see whether or not they're going to lose a significant amount of their customer base if they do do it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, ASOS is sticking to its guns. M&S as well. You know, they, 
no mention as of yet of them doing of them charging for returns. So it'll be interesting to see because obviously there'll be, you know, it's beneficial to the whole industry, um, to the whole planet, <laughs> yeah. if they can, you know, cut back on on the uh, amount of returns. So an interesting space to watch. Something else that's also uh, I thought just going back to the point around you know retailers sort of creating this monster, the whole buy now pay later trend. I think that's really exacerbated all of this. So I actually wrote a report for Klarna and returns uh, a few years ago. So really looked into all of this at the time. And I think something that came out of the the research was, uh, and this is where things get really complicated, but something that came out of the research was that those who return the most, you know, you often think, oh, you know, they're abusing the system. And there's certainly a whole you know, cohort of shoppers that have, there's the whole wardrobing thing. And, you know, that's an absolute abuse of, of retailers returns policy. And I think, I think kind of illegal in some countries. Um, mm. It's definitely fraud. <laughs> that whole, like you buy it, you, inst- you take, you know, you take a photo for Instagram and then you return it or you wear it out for a night with a tag and return it. But I think what we're talking about is a little bit different because it's, I guess in the industry, I, again, I'm not a fashion expert per se, but uh, bracketing, is is this idea that you know you buy things in multiple sizes or multiple colors and keep the one that you like so and again yeah. that's really been normalized as, as we've touched on but i do think that um if you look if you remember you know five maybe five six years ago you had asos you had amazon i think amazon might still be doing it pushing this whole try before you buy service they were actively promoting uh they were actively encouraging shoppers to take products home and then, you know, pay later. And now it's kind of morphed into the Klarna's of the world. But just curious to get your thoughts on on buy now, pay later, and whether you think that's making things worse for the industry. I think it is, yeah. It's, you know, because people face are facing sort of unprecedented increases in their costs at the moment, in the UK at least, with um, fixed rate mortgages coming to an end and all the rest of it. And so because their incomes are squeezed and their spending power is squeezed, a lot of them are using buy now, pay later services. But it's whether or not you know the retailers themselves are doing their due diligence to see can these consumers indeed pay later or are they going to default on the payment and then you know everyone loses at that point um, because then you have to pursue them for the payment and you know get the product back and it's a whole new sort of world of issues that they face so i do think that yeah. that is an issue for sure yeah and i guess the longer a product um is out of circulation the the greater dent to its value for the retailer you know that's very I, I think you know a good chunk of products that are returned are you know retailers can't resell them at, no. at full retail price so and, and no. there's not really awareness among that among shoppers when it comes to things like that or awareness of the environmental aspect as well so i do wonder if maybe there's an education piece where retailers can kind of delicately manage this this shift well, um, yeah no on that point actually i mean there's a whole esg element to this which um i think a lot of the retailers don't really look at, but they should be because H&M, if that, they actually were clever about this, they could have gone on the front foot and said, you know, we are doing this partly because our consumers are very environment, you know, they're younger, they're more, you know, a lot of students and that sort of thing, they're more environmentally conscious and aware. And so we are doing what our consumers want us to do, which is, you know, charging for um, returns. And in that instance, you know, we are protecting the environment because, at this point in time, you know, that behavior of buying several products and returning them, you know, is each one has to be packaged, sent back, uh, re-delivered, reprocessed. And as you say, a decent chunk of that cannot, cannot be sold again because of the nature of the packaging and how it was. So 
it's it's certainly um, a massive issue for the environment. And I've seen actually some research in the past. And again, I can't remember who came up with this, but the research was suggesting that online is actually worse for the environment at this point in time than physical because online involves all those returns and it involves you know, lots of processing, especially especially all those Amazon deliveries that you see <laughs> as well, which is a subject close to your heart. And, you know, I suppose that is damaging the environment big time and with, with all the carbon that's being produced and the emissions. So physical stores, paradoxically, because some of them are really poor old buildings, you know, that they these retailers are housed in, they paradoxically are better for the environment at this point in time than online, which is yeah, it's it's such an interesting debate, isn't it? And I think I think the real um, the tricky thing to measure there. I mean, this is just my view. This isn't based on any research, but I mean, I guess you have to figure out how your shopper gets to those stores because if everybody's driving to the store, then maybe that's not as environmentally efficient as you know getting a delivery but also to your point about amazon and and other online retailers there is such a move now in the industry to kind of decarbonize the final mile and the shift to um, micro mobility hubs and electric delivery by um, electric cargo bikes and electric vans and i i think things are there is that recognition and and just things i think are moving in in the right direction but yeah absolutely it's a it's a fun debate to to have <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just a couple more points I wanted to touch on, Jonathan. Um, Just talking around loyalty. So I think something that kind of got lost in the fine print with the H&M news is that if you are an H&M loyalty member, this doesn't apply to you. So returns are still free. And Considering there's really no barriers to joining H&M's loyalty program, it's not like you've got to pay a you know an Amazon Prime style fee. It's it's free to join. You get mm. the disc. I, I'm a member, and you do actually um, get meaningful rewards. I would say you know you get the odd voucher off that you can use in store or online. You get various discounts. So it's I mean in my view it's it's a no brainer. You join the loyalty program, you still get all the perks. But just curious to get your views. Do you mean I'm being a little bit facetious here but do you think that this move is actually as as much about converting shoppers to its loyalty program and understanding a bit more about them as it is trying to put a lid on uh on the returns issue yeah i don't think it was intentional actually i think it was more they were forced to charge for returns because of the nature of the cost going up but actually i think it's a nice happy byproduct that they've managed to get people or you know they will now get more and more people signing up for their loyalty scheme because they can then data mine that information extensively and understand the consumer, you know, promote bespoke products to them. And, uh, you know, it's proven that loyalty schemes really do work. And you've got to look at Tesco, you know, and their performance versus the other grocery operators in times of cost of living crisis, you know, in big inflation in the grocery sector, we've seen Tesco manage to improve its market share. And the reason for that is mainly, I'd say, down to their loyalty scheme and how good it is and, how they promote to their consumers, they've sent messaging out that's targeted to their consumers, and they know who they are and where they are and where they live. And I think that's really important. So H&M will benefit from that too. But I don't think that they necessarily set out to sort of do it in that way. I think it's purely their hand was forced. They had to start charging for returns. And now, as a result, they'll get more information on their customers. So it's a good thing for them. It's kind of a win-win actually all round for them in a sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, it does make sense to reward those most loyal shoppers, of course. But I think, you know, maybe we'll see more retailers 
climb down from some of these costly promises and and limit those promises just to loyalty members. Because um, it's, again, something that I tweeted the other day about this is that I think, you know, retailers have become too generous over the past decade. You know, we've had you know, free delivery, free returns, you know, frictionless everything. And they've had to. They've had to adapt and marry their physical and digital experiences and keep up with all the, the disruption. Um, but maybe they need to start saving that generosity for their most important customers. So I think that's uh, certainly yep. an interesting area to watch. Yeah. I, right. I, read, I read that tweet and I agreed with everything you said. I thought it was a really good tweet, um, the way you, you put it. And it's exactly what they should be doing, you know, focusing on those most those key customers that spend a lot more, you know, and I saw some, there's a retailer um, in the health and beauty sector that actually put together some analysis on their online and physical um, channels. And they showed that if someone shops both their channels, then they tend to spend double a single channel shopper. And so I think it's, you know, and obviously if they shop e-commerce, it means you've got all their data. Um, And often, you know, they will be part of a loyalty scheme if they're a regular shopper anyway. So it shows that loyalty pays, uh, the retailer benefits and the consumer benefits. So it's really uh, synergistic in that sense. Yeah. And I think, again, without veering too off topic, I think that's very much the direction of travel within retail, real-time, personalized, relevant offers. You know, while, it could be while you're at the shelf in a grocery setting or, you know, even in a, a, a clothing setting as well. Um, maybe not offers on specific products, but just hitting you when you're really ready to spend. And uh, I think the technology is really there and, and to enable that. So certainly an, an interesting uh, space to watch. I have one last question for you, Jonathan, and that's around kind of the root of the problem here, which is around sizing and fit. And I read uh, Sarah Butler's article, uh, Sarah at The Guardian, and I think she made a really good point in her coverage about all of this. So she said that something that you probably wouldn't expect. She said that return rates actually eased during the pandemic, even though we were all buying online then, they actually eased. But we were buying looser, <laughs> comfier clothes. We were all in sweatpants and elasticated waist. So, mm. you know, it, having an exact fit wasn't really that important. But now we're back to normal. We're back in the office, back on holiday. And uh, the problems around sizing and fit are, you know, they're still there. So, there's been so many attempts to crack this, there, you know, through technology, especially there's been like all kinds of crazy 3D body scanning apps and various other attempts. But I guess the question is, do you think because it's such an individual thing, do you think retailers can ever really crack this? And I guess I guess if they did, then the returns issue would be solved, right? Yeah, no, it would. It, it's it's always been an issue, you know, the ability to properly size and fit, you know, in, in the fashion market online. But um I think you know, I, I saw, uh, I didn't read her piece, but I know that that was the case. You know, the numbers changed quite drastically. So mm. and the PwC research around that was showing that um, shoppers were more intentional in their shopping mission, you know, when they were buying online because everyone was locked down. And suddenly a much broader group of consumers started to buy online because they had to, whereas before they may, may go in store to buy their products. And as you say, maybe it was to do with, more relaxed fit and you know loungewear and all the rest of it, but I'd say that um, now we've just reverted back to type because a lot of those shoppers that bought online at that point in time have gone back to buying in store for the most part. So you've, you're left with those shoppers that would do the same thing as they did before COVID, which was buying several and returning and, and a large number of those. Whereas people just weren't returning before, and they may have been put off by having to go to a post office to return the product because then they'd be in a queue, and people were still wearing masks and worried about COVID. So 
it might be that you know they just bought it and then kept it even though maybe it wasn't necessarily perfect so there's reasons around mm. that but yeah no it's it's a perennial issue you know the uh ability to sort of properly scan your shopper and you know i guess it's about getting the exact metrics and ensuring that the design reflects that because too few products fit the consumer even in store you know that's why trying things on you know sometimes you have to try multiple products on because the design isn't there sometimes and so I guess more options, more you know, wider ranges would be useful um, to counter that issue. But then that comes at a cost because then the more you design for a wider group of people, the less margin you make. So it's a margin versus yeah. thing, unfortunately. A perennial issue. Yeah, I just, I guess just one final question then. Do you think that means that we'll never get to a place in fashion retail where, you know, e-commerce is the dominant channel? Do you think there will always be, that oh, stores will always play a really important role? They will. I think we've reached, I don't think we're there yet, but I think we've, we're close to reaching peak internet at this point in terms of online penetration. You know, it's already very high. In the UK, it's higher than most markets, most developed markets. Um, and it reached a significant sort of peak, obviously, during COVID because people were all locked down and everything else. But I see it getting to 30%. You know, at the moment, I think the number, obviously, everyone's numbers vary, but mm. I believe it's around 25% according to the ONS. And so, I see it getting to 30%, but on a slow burn basis. And if you look at the growth rate, it has really tailed off. So it's about the results we saw over the Christmas period in 2022 were quite clear. You know, the retailers that had an omni-channel approach and stores and also uh, online transactional websites were the ones that actually did well. And the pure plays really did struggle. And they've bounced back since then. But I mean, I'm talking to three different online brands that want physical stores right now for that reason. So I think it's really about not, as you say, you know, it's, it's about not one channel. It's about multiple and reach the market for the consumer. And if you can achieve that successfully and it's seamless, then you know that's where you need to be. But I know you, you know, you're the expert on that, and you've written like <laughs> already. So. I'm nodding my head in agreement here. (laughs) Totally. Okay. Well, listen, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights. If you want to hear more from Jonathan, you can check out his site, jdmretail.com, and I will post links to his social profiles in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Retail Disrupted. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please leave a rating or review or share it with others. It really makes a difference. 